And as you take your seat, if you will please open your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Our passage is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Uh, You can find this on page 983 of uh, the Black Pew Bibles in front of you, so please feel free to make use of those. This morning we will look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Hear now the word of our Lord. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. As far the reading of God's holy word, would you please pray with me? Our Father in heaven, I ask this morning that you would cause by your spirit for all of us to see Christ clearly. And that we would bow our knee. That we would submit our hearts to the only Savior and to the Lord of heaven and earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, when my family and I lived in Sweden, there was a member in the church where we served who uh, loved to go camping, and we, he invited me to join him to go camping one night in the middle of January, which in Sweden is not like in Charlotte. It's cold, dark, and snowing. However, it was... I think the warmest day it had been, or night, in about three weeks, and my friend had been studying uh, and preparing on how to do a certain kind of fire that would keep on, uh, keep lit throughout the night and keep us warm throughout the night and so on, and, and so we go out there, we're about a mile from the road, we, we hike through these snow drifts, and I'm not telling you hyperbole, there were, I'd never seen this before, snow up to my waist at certain points. We eventually get to the place where we are to camp and we work hard to clear the area and so on. And anyway, we, we survived the night, thankfully. But it, it snowed on us the entire time. Not for one moment did it stop, did it stop snowing on us. We made it through the night and the next day we get out of our tent and we pack things up and we're now looking around to figure out where we go to get back to the road. Because we're in the middle of the woods. And snow is covered everywhere. So there are no tracks, there is nothing to see, but we're men. And we are going to find our way without direction. So we pack stuff up and we carry it all on our backs and we get really lost. And there was a point in which we had to admit we are going to be stuck here forever unless one of us pulls out our phone and looks it up on 
the GPS where the road is, so then, and then calls somebody to pick us up. So reluctantly, we pull out our phones. It tells us which direction to go, and we found the road, and here I am today standing before you. There are times, whether we like to admit it or not, where we need a reorientation of where we are and where we need to be. And there are times when our hearts need to be reoriented because we find ourselves drifting from what we know is true. And perhaps we don't realize that we've drifted far off from where we need to be. Well, this is what's happened in uh, the church in Colossae. The book of Colossians is a small letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this group of people who had come to faith uh, out of the ministry of a man named Epaphras who had come from Ephesus, it had been, you know, the multiplication model, church planting, it was good, and, and, and its founding was, was wonderful. It was based upon the truths of Christ and the reality of the gospel. But as time had passed, they, the people in this church had started to perhaps fall prey, maybe just a little bit, to the idea that Christ Jesus is not enough. And false teachers had, had entered into the church and they were saying to those that, that in order to, to follow Christ that you need to add on certain rules and things like worshiping angels or asceticism. And then that, what that is is kind of like living like a monk off away from the world in a cave or something. And you think about that and say, well, that's not my danger today, Ben. But I think if you really think about their situation, you might begin to see how such teaching might sound good. Because you yourself may have asked the question, what do I need to do to be more spiritual? What do I need to do to get better in the things of the faith? And you begin to add other things that really are not as Christ-centered as you might first believe. And that's what's happening here in the church in Colossae. And Paul, the apostles, writing to them to reorient their hearts so that they not drift away. And that he teach them that Jesus Christ is enough. That Jesus Christ is preeminent. He is greater than anything else. There is nothing on the same level as Jesus Christ. And if you are in Christ, if you are in Him, you lack nothing. That's what they needed to hear. Paul's response to the wayward teaching that was sneaking into the Colossian church is to place before them the unique glory of Jesus Christ. I think there's an important lesson for us as well. As Paul sees the church being influenced by wayward teaching, he goes back to the basics. Reminds them, no, 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 Christ is preeminent. You need to remember that. Colossians 2, he says this, you have been filled in Christ. Remember, in other words, you you have everything you need. Christian, because you've been made complete 
in Jesus Christ. You don't need anything else. People may tell you you need something else, but you don't. You are made complete in Jesus Christ. If you look at our passage, verses 15 through 20, in just these five verses, Paul points out the preeminence, the the greatness, the unique glory of Christ by saying how he is over all things. He says this six times, all things. Look at verse 15. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. In verse 16, for by him all things were created. And then in 16 again, all things were created through him and for him. In verse 17, Christ is before all things and in him all things hold together. That in everything he might be preeminent. And then in verse 20, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. You see that, and, 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 and you see this repetition. All things, all things, all things are under Christ. And you begin to get the point. Jesus is preeminent. He's not one God among many. He is not one good option among several other good options. No, He is the one and only God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when you and I are prone to wander, we need to be reminded who Jesus Christ is. And that He is preeminent. And that if you have Christ, you already have everything. So in some ways, uh, this sermon is just a one-point sermon. And that point is this, that, that Jesus Christ is preeminent. Jesus is preeminent. Now, there are, there are four things that I want to point out that, that highlight this one point and one truth that Jesus Christ is preeminent. And so we'll look at those. And the first one is that Jesus, these verses tell us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Look at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. And then in verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And what do we learn from these verses about Jesus? Well, this is a, a fundamental truth about Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is God manifested in the flesh. Jesus Christ is God manifested in the flesh. See, he's not God Jr. He is God. He is the revelation of God. If you want to know God, you go to Jesus. Because he is the invisible God made visible. Jesus has no rivals because there are no rivals. Because he is God. He is God who has come into the world by taking on human flesh. Jesus is the one whose name is above all. This is a basic fundamental truth about Jesus. And if anybody is telling you something else about Jesus... A, they don't know Jesus. They don't know God. 
and they're lying to you. Jesus is God. And another thing that we need to understand about this truth is that because of this is who Jesus is, you owe your allegiance and your service to him now. You owe your service and allegiance to him, whether you're a Christian or not. You might say, well, I'm not a Christian, so I don't, I don't have to do these things for Jesus. I don't owe anything to him. But you have to understand, if you say no to Jesus Christ, this is not just some personal choice that you kind of have thought through. I mean, you might say, well, Jesus, I don't really have any, he doesn't really have anything to do with my life right now. Life's kind of good. I don't have any crisis going on. I don't need him right now. Or you might say, well, you know, Jesus just doesn't really fit into my life right now. We really change things. I'm really enjoying the way I'm living my life. Maybe, maybe later. Maybe later. Or perhaps you, you know, you've, been to Sunday school and say, well, now I want to explore some other ideas, some other worldviews, some ways to think about uh, the, the world and life and things. But you have to understand, if you're going to say no to Jesus Christ, you're saying no to the living God. You're rejecting God who is and who has made you. You see, God has come into his creation in Jesus Christ. And that statement is the good news that the world needs to hear. Isn't it a wonder? Isn't it amazing that God would put on flesh? You know, think of Christmas time. We think of, of Mary in the stable and the Donkeys, and we've got all these books with donkeys singing songs and things. But, but what's going on? We have Mary holding in her arms the living God. The baby Jesus, she had in her arms the fullness of God in flesh. You may hear that. You may think about that. And you may wonder, well, how can that be? How is that possible? The question really is, is anything impossible with God? So Christ is preeminent. The first thing that we see in this passage that highlights that, let's see what Jesus is God. Jesus is God. The second point here is that Jesus is Lord of his creation. Jesus is Lord of his creation. Look at verses 15 and 16. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. See, the time when the Colossians lived, there was this kind of popular view about where, how this world came to be. You know, it's a question that 
you know, you ask as a child, how, how did the trees get here? Why, why are there birds? Why is there a sky? You, you ask these questions, how did these things get here? And in, in Paul's time, in the time of this, this church, there was this view that, um, there was this view that there were these kind of emanations, this sort of outworking of some ultimate deity that just sort of flowed out of him. Um, and, and it was sort of strange. Paul is saying, no. The world was created by Christ, the Son of God, and for Christ, the Son of God. We have a view today that the world and everything that is in it, the trees, the birds, the sky, the sun, is, is here. It's, it's all here, not created, just a matter of chance. It just happens to be. But Paul reminds us, no, our, our Lord Jesus Christ is the created all things. And he is the firstborn of all creation. He is unique and supreme because he is the mighty creator and sustainer of everything, everywhere. It is Christ who sustains the world that we live in. We take it for granted that when we wake up tomorrow, the sun will rise. It is Christ who does this. All things were created by him and for him. Now you may have a question, what does this word firstborn mean? What's this talking about? Well, this word firstborn, really the idea is is not so much chronology that he is the first created. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the idea of an heir. An heir. Someone who uh, is the heir of all creation. It is for him. So we're not talking about a, a timeline that Jesus was made first and then we have the the, the stars and the, the sun or, and light or whatever. That's not what is going on here. You might talk about your own children. Uh, you know, a born, I have this, my child, my oldest child was born in that year, and then my next child born in this year, and so on. That's not what this is talking about. What this is talking about is, is dignity. It's talking about the dignity of Christ. Jesus is preeminent because he is the heir of all things. He is the worthy recipient of all things. And we see at the end of verse 16 that all things were made through him. And in verse 17, in him all things hold together. And so we come to a second reason why We all owe allegiance to Jesus. It's because he made you. Jesus made you. You exist because he made you. That is why you are here. Every breath that you breathe, every heartbeat that you have, is a gift from Jesus. The Son of God. But not only were you made by Him, what's interesting here is not only that that He made you, but you were made for Him. You were made for Jesus. And I think that's a really important thing to understand and to think about. And you'd probably ask yourself this question, What am I for? 
What is my life really about? Do I have a purpose in this life? Do I have any sort of goal and reason for being? Why am I here? Not just that Jesus made me, but do I have anything that I am for? You are for Jesus Christ. He made you for himself. Did you know that? He made you for himself. Jesus made you for himself. He made you for his fellowship. He made you to be his brother. Abraham Kuyper said that you were made to be his covenant fellow. That we may be co-heirs with Christ. Now this may seem to have little to do with your life or answer the question that you ask. You may say, okay, well that sounds nice, Ben, but what my life is really for, it just, what you're talking about just seems kind of abstract, just seems out, out there. Made for Christ. What does that mean? I want you to understand that this is something that really does apply to your life. Whatever you're going through right now. Because when you understand that you are made for Christ, when you understand this truth, to know what you are made for, that's going to enable you to live your life. It's going to enable you to live your life. And to live your life in a new way. In a better way. It doesn't mean that, that you will lose your, your, your difficulties or your troubles. It doesn't mean you won't have any hard decisions to make. But in the midst of your greatest difficulties, you can know, I'm made for Christ. Whatever decision I make here, it's, it's small potatoes compared to Christ. Whatever I'm going through, I'm made for Christ. I'm made to give Him glory. I can press on. I can keep going. The Gospel teaches us that God has come to you in Jesus Christ in order to bring you to Himself. As Ryan even prayed, to to reestablish a relationship with Him, between you and Him. To recenter your life in the Son of God. The reason why the world is the way that it is today, it's because we've turned our backs on our Maker. We've said no to Jesus Christ, and thus we've said no to God. And the gospel message seeks to bring people back home to the God who made them for Christ, to bring them to the Savior who died. And rose again, having prepared a home for God's beloved children. You see, who you are, all these questions about who am I, who you are, what you're looking for, the world will tell you all sorts of different things to look for and all these sorts of other things that say you're for this or you're for that. Those deep questions that keep you up in the middle of the night are answered in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. As Augustine famously put it, 
You have made us for Yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until we find rest in You. Everyone you meet who's not a Christian has a restless heart. They may tell you for a time, I know who I am. I'll tell you who I am, and you need to tell me, you need to affirm this. But you can know their hearts are not at rest. Their hearts are not at peace. Because that person is made by Christ and made for Christ and has turned their backs upon Him. Do you know that's true for you as well? God created all things for Himself. Do you see that? Do you praise Him? Do you worship Him to to see and to know that God is our Creator? What does that do? It leads us to understand ourselves rightly. It puts us in our right place, which is in a place of worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our third point here, is that Jesus Christ is the head of the body of the church. Look at verse 18. It says, and he is the head of the body of the church. It's a simple point. It's easy to make. Well, what is the point? If you notice, verse 18 continues. It says, Jesus Christ is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. where Where do you see most clearly the preeminence of Jesus Christ? Where do you see his supremacy most clearly in this world? You see it in the church. You see it in the church. The end of Ephesians 1, it's, we're told that it is through the church that the wisdom of God is made known to the world. It is in the church where, God's, uh, where Christ's supremacy is seen. You think about when we do evangelism, when we pray for our missionaries and we send missionaries out. You know, our desire is to see people converted to Christ. Of course it is. But that's not the ultimate desire. That's not the end desire. What we want to see is, we want to see Jesus Christ having preeminence. And one of the ways he shows his preeminence is when lost sinners who deserve judgment are brought to Christ and then are joined together with his body, which is the church. And their worship with the rest of Jesus' body, worship Jesus as Lord over all. You look at the Bible, and you know, we, we find it so easy to make it a, a man-centered book. We can sound so holy sometimes about how I've been reading the Bible and how I've been reading the Bible, but we, we, can, we can look at it and we can try to make it serve our own interests. But we need to understand that God does not exist for the things that we want in our lives. But rather, we exist for His glory. And His glory is our highest interest. And when we are at our best in this life, when we are at our best is when Jesus is glorified and He is rightly seen as supreme over all things. And in verse 18, when he talks about Jesus being the firstborn from the dead, again, this is not speaking timeline here. Uh, He's he's saying that Jesus' resurrection is a pledge of our resurrection. 
As Jesus is the head of the church, is the head of the body, and if the head has been raised, then the body also will be raised with him. Do you see how important the church is? And the point of the church is, is Jesus Christ. And our, our best and our hope is, is when we are joined together, when we are joined together with the body. You see, Jesus is God's guarantee that, that death will not have the last word. And for those who look at the certainty that my life will end in death, if you're in Christ and if you're connected to the body, we get to hear words of Jesus like this. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Because I live so also you will live. When every nation and every institution in this world passes away, and they surely will, the one institution that will remain is the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him everything, that he might be made preeminent. Which brings us to our final observation here, is that Jesus is the only one, Jesus is the only one who reconciles sinners to God. Look at verses 19 and 20. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, uh, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. You see, it is only through Jesus Christ, the Son of God made flesh, shedding His blood on the cross, that can rightly and finally and completely deal with sin. That is the place where God deals with our sin. It's on the cross. Only Jesus, the God-man, is able to stand in the place of sinners and bear the judgment That was theirs. Only Jesus is able to be the sacrifice that will turn away God's wrath against sin by enduring it himself. Jesus alone is able to handle this. Jesus alone can pay the penalty that is ours. There is only one Savior because there is only one God who has made propitiation is the, the sacrifice of turning away the, by absorbing the justice of God's wrath against sin that only He can take that for us. You see, there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved other than Jesus Christ. He alone is Lord. You will not find salvation anywhere else. My friends, this is the truth. This is true truth. As sure as one plus one equals two, Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. Anything or anyone who would suggest something else is lying to you. And they are pulling at your heart, pulling it away from where it needs to be. Sounds like perhaps a message for those who aren't believers, but this is a, it is, but it's also a message for you who are in Christ. 
You know, the hymn that we just sang before this sermon, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, was written by a man named Robert Robinson. He was converted under the ministry of George Whitfield. He was a pastor. Uh, he was very successful. But there was a time, and then he wrote this hymn. Uh, we love it. Come, uh, come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. We love this hymn. It's one of the great hymns in the English language. But some time after writing this hymn, this author who wrote these great words, he himself wandered from the faith. He wandered away from Christ. And then one day, years later, he meets a, a lady, a complete stranger he doesn't know. They share a stagecoach, because they didn't have taxis or Uber back then. And so they're sharing a stagecoach, and while they were riding, the, the woman shared a verse that was on her mind of a hymn that she really liked. And she told him, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. She was saying that to the man who wrote those words. And who himself had wandered from the God he loved. And he says to her, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who composed that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. And this strange lady gently replied to him, saying, Sir, the streams of mercy are still flowing. Why else would Paul write these words to a Colossian people who are starting to feel pulled away from Christ? It is said that the Lord used this providential encounter to restore this great hymn writer. I tell that story, it may be familiar to you, but I tell that story because we need to humbly recognize. We need to not be proud and we need to humble ourselves and recognize, I know that I'm capable of wandering too. There are and there will be temptations that will whisper to you, you know, Ben, you can do better. You don't need Jesus for this. Isn't it fun? God only helps those who help themselves after all. And one day you wake up to the fact that you've lost your way and your heart is cold. You need your heart reoriented, set upon Jesus Christ. Set your eyes upon Jesus, for in Him, in Him alone, the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. It is through Him and Him alone that we are reconciled to God. It is only in Him and Him alone is peace made through the work, through Jesus' work on the cross. And it is in Him that we will find Him alone, I lack nothing. Would you set your eyes upon Jesus? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that the streams of mercy are still flowing. We ask that you would grab the attention of our hearts and draw us near to Christ. We see that you, O Christ, Savior and Lord, are preeminent in all things that our hearts belong to you, our lives belong to you. Convert us, reclaim us, 
that we would know what we are for. Would that be our delight? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.